Well, when we return insult for insult, and evil for evil, and ugliness for ugliness, then we are stealing from God. We are taking vengeance, and it has many forms, brooding, not speaking, an angry, bitter spirit. It's all a form of unforgiveness. But we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in chapter 12 of our study of the book of Romans, and we've been looking at the power of the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit can work to renew our minds, bringing them into conformity with Christ, also, that the Spirit works in believers through certain gifts that He endows us with at the time of conversion. But as we pick up today, we'll also see that the Spirit can keep our spirits operating in a supernatural way, in the case of when we are reviled and not returning evil for evil, but trusting that God is in control and allowing our light to shine as believers. And so God who knows the future was preparing his people and God who knows what you will encounter tomorrow at work or at school or at home is preparing you, he's preparing me. And if we have ears to hear, we need to hear it. Never pay back evil for evil to everyone. See, there's three levels in which you can respond to people. The first level is when you give evil for good. That's the satanic level. The second level is when you give evil for evil. That's the natural level. Anyone can do that. But God wants us to give good when we've been shown evil. That's the supernatural level. Please understand, if your goal is to get even, that is exactly what you will do. You will get even. If a man hates you and persecutes you and says all kinds of evil against you because you are a believer in walking with Jesus Christ, and you say, I'm going to get back, I'm going to get even, that's what you do. You come down to where he is. And you live on the natural plane, the natural realm. I heard of a man who received a telephone call at 3 a.m. in the morning. His irate neighbor says, I want you to know that your dog is barking. It's 3 a.m. and he is keeping me up. And he said, well, thank you. And he hung up the phone. The next night, he called his neighbor at 3 a.m. And he says, I want you to know I do not have a dog. And he hung up. You see, we want to get back. That's in our fallen Adamic nature. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. God calls us to live on a different plane. Look at verse 17, the second part of it. Respect. Don't look at me. Look at the text. Respect what is the right in the sight of all men. Circle that word respect. It's actually two Greek words brought together. The word hupa, which is our word that we get our word first or before, and na'eo, which means to think. It means literally to think beforehand or to think first. And Paul is basically saying think before you act. And so he says very specifically in verse 18, if you will notice, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now, Paul recognized that there would be times when you would try to reconcile, even with those who hate you, and that they would not receive your move towards reconciliation. 
and you can't take responsibility for them. I tell this to couples all the time. I said, you may feel like your spouse is 99% wrong and you're 1% wrong. You have to take responsibility for your 1%. You have to deal with your sin. And Jesus came to this earth not to change your neighbor. He came to change you. And some of us, we come and we listen to sermons, and I call them vicarious sermon listeners. And they meet me almost weekly, and they say, Pastor, I wish so-and-so were here today to hear this sermon. And sometimes I want to say, but what did God say to you, my friend? God didn't come to change your neighbor first. He came to change you. He came to change me. And listen, married couples, don't be concerned about your mate in terms of what they will do. You have to ask what you are going to do. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be be at peace with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. That's why he gives the condition that he does. Sometimes you can go as humbly as you can be And with sincerity of heart, you can take responsibility for yourself and ask for forgiveness, and they won't give it. I read about one couple who were having a quarrel, and and they ended up not speaking to one another, and they gave each other the silent treatment. And again, remember, revenge is nothing more than unforgiveness. And a week into their mute argument, her husband wrote her a note and said, Honey, I need to fly to Atlanta tomorrow. It is a very important meeting, and it's very important to our financial picture as a family. Please wake me up. You know the difficulty I have in getting up. He woke up the next morning. His flight had long been gone. It was already 7.30. He saw his wife up and walking around. He couldn't believe it. And just before he got ready to ream her out, he saw a note on his pillow, and it said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. God has called us to peace. Now, we can apply this to believers amongst each other, but let's take it into the realm of which it's speaking, especially our dealings with unbelievers, because we will make enemies. When you are like light, sometimes you shine in their eyes, and they don't like the light. Jesus said some men will not come to the light because they love their evil deeds. When I preach, I make people mad. I know that because I get their letters. And they tell me what they think of me. It's okay. You're going to make some people mad. But you are not to make them mad because you have been obnoxious. You are to make them mad because you've been godly. But listen, sometimes because you stand for what's right, and we live in a day of decaying morals, and you stand for what is right and true and honorable to the Lord God, you're going to make some people mad. Jesus said in John 10, 34, that his message didn't always bring peace. Sometimes it brought a sword. He said, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. If you think about Paul's life in nearly every city he went, he created what seemed to be a riot. But as far as it depends upon you, as you are able, because you are walking in the center of God's will, filled with compassion and forgiveness and mercy towards people, be at peace with all men. Now, a peaceful relationship obviously is a two-way street. And God is just reminding us, at least from our way, the street needs to be open. And to underscore that, he quotes here in verse 19 from Proverbs chapter 20. Notice, never... 
take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. Here's the Old Testament quote. Some of you are new to the Bible. You see the change in typeset here in the NAS, reminding you this is from the Old Testament. It's from Proverbs 20. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now remember, this is not an exhortation to nations dealing with nations. We will come to that. We will talk about war and capital punishment and issues like that when we come to Romans, the 13th chapter. He's addressing in the context the way individuals deal with one another. And he says, we are never to take revenge. Now let me say parenthetically while we're here, because the question always comes up if I don't address it, that he is not speaking here to the issue of self-defense. God speaks to the fact that we can defend ourselves. Scripture must interpret Scripture because the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. So, for instance, in dealing with property rights, in Exodus chapter 22, God said this, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. When a person stole, the thief was simply required to restore what he had stolen plus an additional penalty. And this, the fivefold and fourfold restitution was understandable because when you took a man's animal, you took away his ability to provide for his family. And so God wanting to deter animal theft gave a very strong penalty. But listen to what God says in the next two verses about self-defense. He says, if the thief is caught while breaking in, and we'll see in the next verse, he's talking about at night. If the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there is no blood guiltiness on his account. If it's dark, especially in a day when there's no electricity, and someone breaks into your house at night, and you can't tell if the man is there to kill you or to steal from you or to do both, and not knowing, you defend yourself, and in the process of defending yourself, you kill the man. God says you're not guilty. But then he quickly adds, but if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his staff. When it is clear in the light that he's not there to kill, but he's there to steal and to steal only, God says you have no right to take his life. Now, if you don't know what's happening, you don't know if he's trying to kill your wife and your children, you have the opportunity and you can have a clear conscience. But if it's apparent, like that man in Texas a few years ago, it made talk radio across the nation. And there were two men breaking into his next door neighbor's house. And he promised to watch his next door neighbor's house while he was away. And he called the police. He said, I've got my gun. They're breaking into my next door neighbor's house. I'm going to shoot them. They said, don't shoot. Wait, we're close. Just give us a second. I'm going to shoot them. Don't shoot. Wait. Boom, boom, boom. And two men dropped dead. Now, under Texas law, he was exonerated, and Sean Hannity and all these talk show hosts were saying he had a right to defend himself under Texas law. He may have been exonerated under Texas law, but he was not exonerated under God's law. He had blood on his hands. And when man's law does not match God's law, that's a bad law and it ought to be changed. God makes it very clear that there is a time when indeed we can defend ourselves. When Lot is captured by his enemies, Abraham comes with force to rescue his nephew. 
And again, we're dealing here with individuals. When we come to the 13th chapter, we will deal with governments, an entirely different issue. In Luke 22, 36, Jesus told his apostles when he told them what they should take when they go out to share the gospel and they travel through the world, among other things, they should take a sword. Why? Because there are times when people will attack, times when thieves will seek to kill you. And Jesus taught the right to defend that self. David, on another occasion, had a right to take someone's life, or could have, I shouldn't say a right, but he could have taken someone's life, namely Saul's, but he didn't. On another occasion, Jesus rebuked Peter for taking out the sword when he tried to fight off the guards when he wanted those guards to take him. So when you put together some of these verses, it's clear that there is a time and a place for self-defense. God does say we're not to repay evil with evil. He is in a moment going to quote Proverbs, the 25th chapter, and he's going to tell us to bless our enemy. And of course, you cannot forget in the mix that verse from the Sermon on the Mount that is often quoted by pacifists to say that a Christian should never defend himself or never go to war when a man slaps you on the cheek and you give him the other. But again, let's think about those. Let's think about that for just a moment. From Matthew 5, Jesus said, you have heard that it was, it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the law of limited retaliation, lex talionis. And God gave that law in the Old Testament. Not because God was allowing the Old Testament Jew to take vengeance, because he will say in Leviticus 19, you shall not take vengeance. But the Jews saw the law of equal retaliation as an opportunity, as permission to exercise vengeance. And God gave it because of the hardness of man's heart, like he gave laws regulating divorce because of the hardness of man's heart, and he wanted to curb vendettas. But God's ideal was very clear from Scripture, and so Jesus says this, but I say to you in the next verse, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Most people were right-handed, so the slap would come from the right hand to the right cheek. But that was not a form of vengeance or violence so much as a form of dishonor. It was a form of shame. When you slap someone on the cheek, cheek, you are shaming them as an individual. And Jesus said, give them the other. But bring it back to our text here in verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. This is a prophecy, it's future. I'm going to repay, says the Lord. And the word repay means to personally and specifically and accurately pay back as you see its usage in the New Testament. God is going to someday repay. And God is not doing something that he tells us not to do. This is not some form of, uh, of, of a vendetta that God has. But as the just judge of the universe whom, sa- whom he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He will indeed execute justice. This is not the judgment seat of Christ that Christians will stand at in heaven, not to see if they go to heaven, for you are saved by grace apart from works, but there is a judgment Christians face to see how they will spend eternity and what rewards they will receive for their faithfulness. This is the great white throne judgment that God is speaking of, where all the unbelievers of all time are 
placed before God, not to see if they will go to heaven, but to show why they should not go and how their punishment will be dealt out. God said, we've already studied this in Romans 3, that at that judgment, when God shows his vengeance, every mouth will be closed. No alibis, no excuses, no prayers, no and if or buts. Absolute silence when they see the absolute holy God, they will see that they are worthy of God's wrath. Paul says that there are men who are treasuring up wrath in heaven, Romans 2.24 because they are resisting the living God. And so we need to recognize that vengeance is mine and it is still in the future and God knows what he is about and he knows the perfect timetable when his wrath will give way. But people today see the mercy of God and they confuse God holding back his wrath that he will not judge. And Peter warned us that this attitude would increase as we come to the end of time. He said, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? And even today, the unbeliever reasons, surely God won't judge me. Everybody's doing, everybody's having sex. Everybody's getting drunk. Everybody's smoking dope. Everybody does it. Certainly God's not going to condemn everybody. And they think they are smarter than God. You say, what does this have to do with Romans 12, 19? Everything. Everything. Because Paul recognized that there was a connection between treating your enemies and the grace of God and that someday that grace will give way to God's wrath. And so as we think about our relationship with an unbelieving world, we are to disarm our opposition. We are to mind our manners. We are to withhold our revenge. Finally, we are to bless our enemy. Look now, if you will, at verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, notice all caps, Old Testament quote. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will, burn, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You say, this is what I was waiting for. Now we get Christian revenge. You know, it's kind of Taylor, but it's Christian revenge. Burning coals on his head. Clearly, the pain inflicted is not a form of Christian revenge because he said, if you feed him, you're going to feed him. You're going to give him water to drink. How is that revenge? The command is very similar to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. We're actually obeying this command when we feed our enemy, when we give him something to drink. And in the words of Proverbs chapter 25, in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You say, is the heaping of the coals something good or something bad? And what does it really mean? Well, people have generally taken two positions. One is they say, well, this goes back to an Egyptian custom where an Egyptian felt like he did something wrong. And so to punish himself, a, a form of penance, he would take a dish with hot coals and he would carry it in his he- on his head and experience the pain. I don't think that's in view because the Bible does not teach penance. It teaches repentance. You cannot pay for your sin through any harm or flagellation or anything else you might do to yourself. 
But typically in the first century, if you remember, people had to have a cook fire to make their meals, to boil their water. And it was a lot of work to get a fire going. And once it was going, you didn't want it to go out. And so very often the fire would be maintained throughout the day. No matches, no lighted fluid, none of that. And so if your fire went out, you would typically go to your home of your neighbor and he would put some hot coals in a plate and you would carry it the way, the way they do in that culture on your head. Better on your head with a little hair protection than on your hands. And you would carry it back and in the process you would experience a little bit of discomfort there with those coals on your head. And God is saying in essence... When you feed your enemy, when you give your enemy something to drink, when you bless those who curse you, when you don't return evil for evil, it's like heaping burning coals on your head. The pain of shame and remorse is brought upon that individual's life. I was reading this week about King David. Remember on that occasion when Saul fell asleep in a cave? We were there just a few weeks ago in that area called Engedi. All these caves everywhere. And Saul was in a cave and David had the opportunity to murder him. And some of his men said, take him out. But David, if you remember, just cut off the edge of his robe. And we read in 1 Samuel, David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men saying, behold, David seeks to harm you. Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my I had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So here's David shouting across from one hilltop, one cave to another. Now, my father, see indeed the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? It's a rhetorical question in Hebrew meaning. He knew it was. Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt with me. While I dealt with you, you for, I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. And Saul never again sought David. The burning coals of David's act shamed Saul, and it put burning coals on his head. And so that's the picture that God is giving to us. There's shame, there's remorse that is experienced on the part of the unbeliever when the Christian has a supernatural response to their evil. And so he concludes in verse 21, do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Being overcome by evil means giving into it, paying back evil with evil. And that's again what people expect. But Paul knows that God's people have the ability, the capacity as yielded servants to do just the opposite. Let me ask you a question this morning. When the offering bag comes through your row in just a second, would any of you think about dipping your hand into that bag and taking some money out? I don't see anybody shaking their head no. Deacons, you better watch this crowd when we take the offering. <laughs> Shake your head and say no. Well, you say no, 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 no. Why would you not do that? Because it belongs to God. You'd say, well, you know, if I'm going to steal, certainly I wouldn't steal from God. Well, when we return insult for insult, and evil for evil, and ugliness for ugliness, then we are stealing from God. We are taking vengeance, and it has many forms, brooding, not speaking, an angry, bitter spirit. 
It's all a form of unforgiveness. But we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. Paul wrote, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. How? The key two words in the text, just like, just as God forgave you in Christ Jesus. When Jesus died, did he die for all men or did he die just for Christians? That's the plain reading of Scripture. You have to be educated into another position that's not plainly taught. He died and bled for all men. That meant he died and bled and was punished for every evil offense. If Jesus was willing to take upon himself and his own body on the cross the evil offense that maybe someone did to you or will do to you, if he was willing to do that and he was willing to provide a means of forgiveness if they would come in faith, then we have a right not to forgive? I think not. I want to ask you this morning, when the unbelievers of this world look at your life, and I'm asking myself, what do they see? What kind of person are they looking at? God is telling us how we are to treat unbelievers. And one of the greatest measures of our maturity and our love for other people is to be willing to release them and to forgive them because that's what God did for us in Jesus Christ. So he tells us very plainly, you want to have an impact on a lost world? Disarm your opposition. Mind your manners. Withhold your revenge and even bless your enemy. If you've never been regenerated from the inside out, Jesus calls out being born again. You can't even begin to start. This is a supernatural life that comes through a supernatural relationship by receiving Christ. But if you've done that, then we are to allow God to renew our minds so that we can flesh this out in our daily experience. Our Father, we thank you this morning. You gave us this word. We are holding in our hands your very word as if you had come down here and with your own hand and with a pen in it, you had written these. Thank you for your infallible, inerrant, eternal word. Help us today to be changed by it. I pray today for someone who's here and they're not really sure that heaven is their home. They'd like to go to heaven. They think they might, but they don't know because they've never trusted that what Jesus did by his death and resurrection is sufficient. Help them to come as a bankrupt person, admitting they can do nothing to earn heaven, that they cannot save themselves, but they need Jesus and the gospel. Help them in simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. Thank you that you came to receive sinful men. But thank you that while you save us unconditionally on the merits of the cross, you love us so much you do not want to keep us the way you found us. And so we lay our lives before you today as living and holy sacrifices. You've been renewing our thoughts this morning from your word. So help us to be metamorphosized, changed from the inside out as we begin to apply these truths and discover that this is your good and perfect and acceptable will for our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's message, The Christian and Retaliation, part of our study in the Book of Romans, use the Search the Scriptures app found in the App Store and Google Play Store. 
You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy. You can do that on Tuesdays between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow, we proceed in our study of Romans as we move into chapter 13 in a message entitled, Christian Citizenship. Join us then as we search the scriptures.